0: A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo.
1: It's in time, and the Chicago Cubs win the World Series.
0: I remember running home from school on the tv to the cubs game sitting with my dad to watch his hero welcome to the world series dreaming chicago cubs dreamcast not affiliated with the actual chicago cubs but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and of course the defending world series champion cubs hi this is ken I am also known as RiceCube on Twitter, and is actually at the game right now. He was at the game on Saturday as well when the Cubs won. So by the time this broadcast drops, I guess you'll find out if the Cubs are in first place or not. Either way, we are going to have an interesting podcast. We have a special guest, Mr. Harry Pavlidis from Baseball Prospectus, talking to us about TrackMan, pitch FX and why robot umps just aren't a reality just yet. So that's pretty much our plan for the day, and we're going to go with it. I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. As the spring gave away to summer, That's the ivy-colored dreams tore the days that kept us yearning for tomorrow. Hello, with us today is Mr. Harry Pavlidis from Baseball's Prospectus. How are you doing, Harry?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me
0: on. Yeah, thank you for doing this. Like, uh, usually, you know, it's just me and Ben shooting the breeze, but every now and then we put our feelers out and people, for whatever reason, want to hang out with us. So we really (laughs) appreciate that.
2: I like talking about baseball stuff,
0: so... Yeah, so do we. And uh, it's a good day for it. Like, uh, at this time, the Brewers have just lost, so the Cubs can potentially tie them for first place, virtually anyway. The Pirates are currently losing. Uh, But, you know... uh, let, let's talk a little bit about stuff that you are more of an expert with because whenever I think of pitching, I think like Dan Brooks and Harry Pavlidis. And, uh, you know, you've probably seen those Cubs umps or uh, Rockies umps, uh, those bot accounts that show a stylized version of what we perceive to be the commonly called strike zone. Right. And a lot of people reference those accounts. My feeling is that those aren't as accurate as, as they should be. And when folks like you, who are like millions of times smarter than me when it comes to this stuff, say that uh, the accuracies aren't at the point where you can actually implement robot umps, then we start listening. So I guess my question to you to lead off is what is up with the automatic automated K-Zone technology like the Pitch FX or... uh? Whatever they use, whatever it games. is they
2: use now, yeah. yeah. So Let's 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 take a trip down memory lane. Okay, so back in uh, 2006. Let's go back even further. I mean, you do. I don't know if you or your listeners are old enough to remember <laughs> things like the attempt to have a glowing puck in the uh, hockey broadcast. Oh
0: yeah, top. the Fox. Fox Sports the Fox used to Trail do that.
2: thing, right? Yeah, and then their um, more successful thing, maybe in sports, would be the uh, the first down line they superimpose on the football field, which have gotten more than just a simple yellow line for the first down. Now it's you know
1: mm-hmm.
2: they have all sorts of graphics overlaid on the field. But the people who made those things were approached to make uh, something called the K Zone,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the idea behind that was to have you know basically real-time, for-broadcast, accurate depiction of a strike zone, of where the ball crossed the plate. So that company went about doing that. We started seeing in 2006 that you had these systems in the park, uh, it, it some, I, I forget, it was maybe Detroit or something, I don't remember, but the end of 2006, it started happening. And then 2007, it went to more parks, and 2008, it was in every park in major leagues, and, uh, you know, that was the pitch FX system and that, that basically gave us one of the probably most commonly seen K zones on TV. Not the only one. There were different companies doing it as well. Um, and still were up until I think the last year or two where I think NLB now requires all broadcasters to use their K zone that they provide and, as opposed to anything else. So that, that zone was, you know, designed very carefully to the point where they figured out that this is going to be superimposed back on TV from a center field camera, which is which is out of line and has distortion. So they figured out how to draw it back, you know, so it would look exactly right on TV. Um, the way it was actually tracked was there were two cameras off, one usually off to the side, one behind home plate, sometimes both off to the side. And they would track the ball for like 10, 20 feet or something out of the pitchers after the pitcher released it. Mm-hmm. And then it would estimate all the other stuff about the ball, how fast it was going, how it broke, so that you could figure out what type of pitch it was, and also calculating where it crossed the plate. And it calculated it, not measured it, not observed it, calculated it I see. very accurately. So it was ha- it was within like an inch, they could say, for legal purposes. It was really within a half an inch, and then in some tests that, that they told me about personally, They were within a quarter of an inch. Um, basically what they would do would take, take a foam board, stick it, you know, right behind home plate, right the front edge of home plate, fireballs out of a pitching machine or an actual person. Doesn't matter. And then measure, you know, where the impression of the ball was compared to where the system thought the ball crossed the plate. And that's how they established the accuracy of those strike zones.
0: So that was like basically a, uh, a really raw way to calibrate their system.
2: Well, it was just a way of establishing the accuracy. The calibration process was actually involves uh, lasers and oh, okay. the field. There's a full process where they go out and put flags down on the field. But there's also one that you could run every game that just basically used, used the third baseline, the coach's box and th- things like things like that to create three-dimensional places where you can, you know, three, three checkpoints basically in space where you can check the alignment. And I've seen that raw alignment data and it's I've we've been like, Hey, look, it's wrong. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
2: Um, so part of what I do for, you know, for my work is we fix that stuff. We, we basically come up with a way to calculate, recalculate all the, the parameters of a pitch mm-hmm. uh, to account for a systemic bias that may happen because just where the cameras are installed, because the calibration was wrong, or has it hasn't been recalibrated, or somebody leaned on a, on, a, on something and it moved. Um, so we would do that, and you know, pretty much between, you know, the typical pitch had
0: to be corrected between one to three inches. I see. So, so that's, that's quite the, a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and that's on
0: average. That's like so, the uh, diameter of a baseball almost.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like 2.8 inches or something like that. So three inches, that's roughly, you know, so sometimes the amount of error we're talking about, we're off by a, a whole ball. And mm-hmm. we can correct for that systemically and shift everything after the game, after we figure out, you know, since we know who the pitchers are and we know what they throw, we can then do a pretty good job of fixing the data. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now we have a different system and it works very much the same way, except it's, it's a radar. It's a Doppler radar. Mm-hmm. And that's what's behind Statcast. Now there is an okay. optical component there are that, that tracks the fielders and throws and the base runners, but the pitch and everything you see today is coming from a radar system. I and see. it does the same thing: it observes part of the path, flight of the ball, and then calculates the location that it crossed the plate. Mm-hmm. And it does not. This company is not a broadcast company. They actually partnered with a with another company. That's why there's you know two. There's two companies behind StatCast, Trackman and, uh, Shiron Hedgo, I think is the name of the company. But they're the one, the, the latter company being the one that had the broadcast experience. So mm-hmm. you had this system that was, um, originally engineered for golf club fitting that has become like the de facto standard for baseball flight tracking. Uh-huh. So the original camera system that was developed has it's still around. It's not in any major league park anymore. It has been removed. Uh, I don't know of any team that has more than a couple of them still. You know, like they're basically the minor league footprint has, has gotten smaller too, basically as the radar base system has taken over. Um, that, this radar system is really good. There's a lot of advantages to it. There's a reason why it's become the standard. It's okay. probably not as accurate and reliable at home plate as the other one, because the other one was designed for Mark. Basically the thing it had to get the most right was that where the ball crossed home plate. That was the primary objective of the system. The new system has basically built out of how fast that ball moved and things like that, um, which is not going to always give you you know, the same focus and calibration. So it may, it may give us the same within a half an inch under optimal circumstances, but I haven't seen, you know, them claim that or publish that. So as far as I know, it's not going to be as accurate at home plate. In my own experience of looking at the data, it's more prone not just to systemic shifts and bias, but it's more prone to interference where the data can be really noisy. Like okay. like, like really crazily noisy because of electronic electromagnetic interference in the ballpark. So it was particularly problematic in Atlanta when they opened up the new ballpark. Right, uh,
0: right. I, I remember you talking about this because uh, we we were seeing, like, balls way oh, off the zone a being called. Yeah, that's a different problem. Yeah, but I, I don't know if that was a tracking issue because There's I – There's another problem. Yeah, There's uh-huh. another problem.
2: So you have this thing with electronic interference is bad. So right mm-hmm. now, places like Atlanta, um, the, 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 the parks that are, are the noisiest are, are – like Baltimore and Atlanta, but they both have gotten better. There's a few others. It's pretty Mm -hmm. much, you know, a handful of ballparks that seem to get stuck by basically makes the data kind of scattershot. It gets spread out. So Uh the average error may be an inch, but there's no longer everything is off by an inch. It's this one's off by six inches. This one's off by one inch. Now Uh the bigger, so that's, that's, that's a problem. Um, but the, the, Problem that was happening on TV and it was like the balls in the batter's box on game day on the or on the K zone, right? But it was called a strike and people were freaking out. Well, that's because this this radar stuff takes longer to process.
1: Hmm.
2: So what was happening, and I think they've been fixing it. I don't know like how much they've fixed it, but supposedly they have some. It it wasn't processing the whole flight of the ball, so it was making its estimate over on the on the ball's flight. Off of a limit more limited amount of data because it wasn't designed to be fast enough to make the cutoff that is required to get it beamed onto the TV screens. Uh-huh. So it was like this milliseconds of time. So fractions, fractions, small fractions of a second where this is this radar processing is slower.
1: So May look, I ask they, you? Uh...
2: Doing, so hold on. What they were doing was they—they oh, they, they were cutting off and processing the part. So they were getting the. So that gives you the speed of the ball pretty well. You don't mm-hmm. need that much of it to get the speed out of the hand. So we were seeing pretty good radar. Like, occasionally, guys like Joe Kelly was not throwing 104. It was just—you know—it was off by a couple percent. But what was really bad was at home plate. It was completely blowing it by six inches, by a foot.
0: Wow. So that's that's a huge margin of error, and I guess my question to you is, like, the electronic based, – based on the fact that it's radar and based on the fact that radar is itself an electromagnetic phenomenon, mm-hmm. it's basically light, uh, specialized light. Uh, is it, like, cell phones in the park because everybody has a smartphone? No, microphone. I don't think so, it's – it, uh, that's No, plants? I don't
2: know. I think it's just the way – it may just be, like, location of
0: mm.
2: um, wiring – you know, I don't think I like think, power so plants
0: be, in the area. Basically. Yeah. Or just, oh. you
2: know, signal interference or could just be parts of the ballpark where the, the radar's hung in a bad place and just the signal gets bounced through the, through the, the, the net or something. I mean, there's, there's there's you know, all sorts of ways for these signals to get messed up. I don't know exactly what the causes are. But I only thing I do know is that sometimes they get a lot better just by the moving hmm. the radar unit a few feet.
0: Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, since you, you talked about the fact that they switched away from the original, uh, yeah. not TrackMan, but whatever PitchFX used to be. Yeah, well, now, be. It's, now
2: it's TrackMan. It used oh. to be SportVision's uh-huh. camera system. This, now it's TrackMan's radar system.
0: What's uh, preventing them from collaborating such that you'd use the stat cast, which is really awesome, by the way? Like, obviously, it has its own set of issues, but for the most part, it's, gotten, it's made us uh, really appreciate the way uh, baseball is played. But what, why can't they incorporate both StatCast and the original system, which hones in at home plate for? Well, you know,
2: because the contract with that vendor expired at the end of last year and they chose. Oh, okay. We had, we had had both systems last year Uh in the ballparks. Um, actually a lot of major league teams have had these radar systems on their own Mm since 2012. So there's been a lot of parks that had both going. Now they don't because MLB owned, owns those things. So they said, okay, we're done with Sport Vision. We're now running Trackman. They had one year of overlap and, you know, that's it. Goodbye. So, um, there's has to be MLB has to want to pay another vendor. Another vendor has to want to want to do the business to begin with. Um, but, you know, or you could just rely on Trackman making enhancements to their stuff, but, you know, which is quite possible, you know, during the season into next season, of course, you know, they'll get better. They'll, uh-huh. they'll they'll work on the problems they had this year and they will get better the reality is we took a step backwards uh-huh. we definitely we definitely went in the wrong direction you know in terms of being like ready for robot umpires the the, the real problem is even with the optical system in place I don't think I think people would be really disappointed um, in that it, it usually doesn't it, it catches like 98 percent of the pitches 96 percent of the pitches Mm -hmm. okay that's a problem right (laughs)
1: yeah
2: what do we do about the handful that it misses you know here and there some games it doesn't miss a single pitch some games something happens and you lose a few innings um you know so so you have to have and you probably want something that's not estimating the location even if it's a great estimate you probably want something that's a little more enforceable Um, That's observing so I I think you would basically be saying it's not the last technology. It's not the current one It's something else that we haven't found yet Mm. that maybe takes a more direct Imaging of it. So I I think that and then you need redundancy you got to have this built not just to be something fun for TV and entertainment but built for to be robust enough to run reliably enough Mm. to, to be the decision engine for every pitch in a baseball game that is you know, even if it only misses something, you know, like one out of a thousand pitches, that's way too many. Right. Because that means every other game you're going to have, wait a second, we missed that. So, you know, it's like you can't, you know, it's got to be much, 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 much better than what we have now. Even, even though what we have now is really, really good, it's got to be way better. Uh-huh. And there's two other, the, big, the biggest fly in the ointment probably is the rule book. Where it's really ambiguous about where the, when the top and bottom of the zone is set. Right. It, it's, it's when the batter is prepared to swing. So I imagine the umpire's manuals and, 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 guidebooks and training materials or whatever, they probably have a clearer definition of what, when they're supposed to set the strike zone. But right now, that top and the bottom of the zone, there, everybody's like, look, the robot ump says this. I'm like, that's a person sitting in the press box, the game day stringer, setting the top and bottom.
0: Right. And you notice that, like, uh, in between batters, they don't adjust the height of the box either. Like, the width of the box obviously stays the same because of the width of the plate, but, well, they you know, should be scaling it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it needs
2: to be scaled
0: based they, on They do it, it sporadically, is, like, yeah. they, you know, like, but uh, there's no way, say, a Jose Altuve's box should be the same as an Aaron Judge box. That's, that shouldn't happen.
2: Yeah, and I mean, so that's another thing. It's like, what, what, how are the top and bottom? Are they being scaled? Are they real? What is it? And so we don't know that. So it's a, even that quote unquote robot ump that we see on TV is actually not robot ump.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a simulation of what it's it what,
2: what a robot ump would produce, but it's like a person setting the top and you know, uh, so I mean, you could right now, I think give umpires feedback in real time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's, you know, there's this this there's this nice thing about these systems is the sides of the plates are are it's, we know where the sides of the strike zone are. Mm-hmm. The top and bottom is this crazy thing where it changes for every batter. It might change within the at bat for that batter. W- 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 when do you set it? How do you set it?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, there's all there's, that's like a Pandora's box of questions. But the the sides the sides of the plate it'd be pretty awesome to have the width of the plate be the same all the time because what's happening now and it's getting better because umpires are trained they see the same data that this, this data is the data that's used to grade Mm -hmm. the umpires. Right. So I'm curious how the grading's going and you know, with the dirty data, um, the, the umpires have gotten better at certain things. Like for example, the left-handed batter zone was had more outside space, um, than the right-hand batters zone, but they're also not getting called as many inside strikes and the right hand batters were. So it was like slightly different shape zones and one was wider. Right. So left-handed hitters actually had a wider, had to cover more of the outside of the plate, you know, and that, you know, that was kind of noticeable. Now I think it's starting to, to shrink back. The, the other one that's really probably the one that's I think would be good to give umpires feedback now before it starts becoming – Locked down part of the game is the zone shrinks and expands throughout the count. So, if I if you throw a ball, the next pitch is going to be more likely to be called a strike, all else being equal. Hmm. So, a one zero strikes on an zero one strikes zone are different shape. A three zero strike zone and an zero two an strike zone are very different, very very different. So hmm. if you you know so this stay they both they're going to have top bottom problems too. Okay, but side to side you can see them you know. On three0 you can be off the plate and it's a strike on O2 you can hit the plate and it's a ball right uh, There's a, a big there's a big space there of difference between those two counts. If you, you know, obviously the gradations be, will be less noticeable. you're not going from one to the other directly, but obviously still like O2, you know the game will change a little bit because more O2 pitches will be called strikes if you go with the rule book strike zone on O2. Mm-hmm. And more 3-0 pitches will be called balls if you go to the rule book strike zone on 3-0. Forget about, forget about robotics, just sticking, keeping, you know, if umpires somehow didn't have this benevolence to them <laughs> that they kind of yeah. oh well, you know, I'm not going to punch you out unless it's clearly a strike. You know, or I'm not going to, you know, it, it, it's this weird thing. Um, if you take that and change it by, and I really think you could do this right now very easily, is like just, uh, just give them a buzz in the pocket that the ball's on or off the plate. Just after the pitch, after they've made their call, let the system, like, give them a little ding, you know, that was, oh, that was off the plate. And eventually they'll, they'll stop shrinking and expanding the zone by count, and the hitters and the pitchers will maybe will start getting used to that. If we go to the robot thing, you know, if we do figure out how to work the top and the bottom of the zone, if we do get the technology right, where we can get Joe West out from behind the plate and just have some cameras or some lasers, you know, whatever. What happens to the play of baseball? I'm super curious about because, because of those things, the change in the pitch to pitch dynamics that we've gotten so used to for so many years, maybe the change will be meaningless, but you know, that's, in, that's just one of those things where the law of unattended consequences <laughs> where, yeah. hey, you know, we change the strike zone. So it's exactly right all the time. It's like, wow, that turned out to be really weird that that could, that, that could be an outcome of this. It might, be, yeah. it might make baseball feel strange for at least a little while.
0: Right. And I, uh... Wanted to think think about this because going going from behind the catcher, you obviously have to see the strike zone at an angle. So you have to do like some kind of, I guess, perception filter within your brain that says, "Well, it looks off to me, but it's actually down the middle, and so therefore I need to call a strike." Why don't they, uh, I, I guess it has to do with the umpire's positioning so that they can make the yeah. at each base. But, you, you know, sometimes you, you have the umpire calling it from behind the pitcher where you can actually see the strike zone and kind of makes it, makes you wonder why don't they do like a, a sort of uh, redundancy. This is a built-in redundancy. You could use the home plate umpire or the, you know, and and also the second base umpire to just try to call a more accurate zone together.
2: Yeah, I don't think you can see the zone well enough for behind the pitcher. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that, what, but you're right that the umpires have learned how to deal with the parallax, you know, the angle that, mm-hmm. that, you know, that they, they get. And this is why, you know, low strikes are harder to get. You know, if a catcher's good and low, the umpire can see it. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the catcher has a high stance; the umpire can't see as much. So the upper high strikes are pretty easy to, you know, show the umpire. You know that they can see those clearly. And then depending on how they shift on a left-handed batter or a right-handed batter, that that's one of the reasons why the zone moves and gets wider. It has something to do with which which is their dominant eye and things. That there's all sorts of, you know, it's a big, you know, perception problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really stinking good at it. Um, you know, and it's like, yeah, they can be somewhat fooled by things like a catcher stabbing and, and, and that, 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 you know, and that's where, you know, the robot would, would be better. Like it it would, you know, it's going to, not going to miss the pitch down the middle because the catcher did something funny. It's not going to matter to that. Mm -hmm. Um, but apparently, and I hope I should be doing some research on this soon, talking about it in a couple of weeks, but. The strike zone, where you're going to get, where you're going to get more misses are on the margins. So you won't get the obviously blown calls, but you'll actually get probably more mistakes on the close calls. Mm-hmm. So, because the umpires are better at adjusting for whatever measurement errors going on in their brains and eyes on that pitch. The systems are not. Um, you know, the umpire can do that thing like, well, yeah, I, I, you know, I know that I'm at a weird angle and right on that edge is probably a ball, even if it looks, you know, close. Um, if the computer system is having an inch or so of error back and forth, it doesn't know which way that error is. Or, you know, it doesn't, it's just, going to say the ball went here. The ball is just a blob, a blur. You know, I think that the human is seeing the ball sharper than the machines are. These aren't like fancy cameras. You know, they're basically literally finding a, the center of the smear that is the ball's reflection, you know, on the radar or image on the camera in the old system. And it's not like some clear thing that's sharp. So I think on the edges, it's going to be a little bit off, you know, but it's not going to make huge mistakes. Right. So we'll say, I'm going to look at that and see kind of what happens. And, and, you know, if that, because if, I've heard about it that apparently the, a team ran a study and so what would happen mm-hmm. and the, and they based what, what what would happen. And it's like, well, if we went to rule book ops and we did it like this, it'd be a wash. <laughs> right. It would end up being like different calls. Like you'd have a different pattern of errors mm-hmm. and it, but it'd be overall, you'd be getting the same. Uh, Rob Manfred claims that the computers are worse and he might be right because of the, simply the percentage of things that it, it that are on track or, or the fact that, you know, these systems are not designed as, you know, to be ref, referees tools. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, they're not designed to replace your umpire. They're designed to make your TV broadcasts more fun. Right.
0: Uh, let's ask something in, in terms of robot umps. You had espoused earlier that there's, like, a certain error percentage that may be acceptable at some point. Like, let's say an umpire makes the, the call 99% of the time because they're generally pretty good.
2: Before like uh, 90, we'll,
0: we'll call it. Let's we'll, we'll, we'll call it 90. <laughs> if, if the robot system is at 99% accuracy, having, like, missed a certain ball, you know, like, is there a way that that would be acceptable to you? Like, so let's say, okay, I know that my TrackMan or StatCast or whatever system that is being involved. No, see, i much,
1: people,
2: I, I don't, it, it's, I think the best way I can answer this, I think people would be more pissed off mm. if the computer blew the call than the person. Because the person, we know the human's fallible and it's part of the, our life in baseball and mm-hmm. we already hate the umpire. But if you see it on and you watch it and it's called a ball and, and it impacts the game and, you know, I think people would handle that worse. I think when mm. when it comes to a technical solution, they're going to expect it to be perfect. I see. Uh, and a human so the expectation shifts so while a ninety percent human may get a lot of grief from <laughs> baseball right. fans a ninety nine percent computer is going to be you know get, it's it 's going to be bad it 's got to be it's got to be just completely right and i've talked to people who watch a lot of tennis because mm-hmm. everybody's like, well, tennis does it I'm like no tennis does not Tennis does not do that. You know, tennis doesn't have, uh, the same problem we have, you know, at all. There's white stripes or whatever on the ground. It's, and it's on the ground. <laughs> it's uh-huh. not floating in space. Okay. It's not nebulous based on the batter being squatting or being Jason Worth standing up straight. Mm-hmm. And even then, the tennis system apparently is only used on appeals. And people will tell you stories that you can see it was wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
2: it was just, it was misaligned and the thing got it wrong. Um, so I, I, I mean, I don't mean your list. Someone listening is probably going to be like, well, I'm a tennis fan. That's not exactly right. Okay, good. You know, write into us on Twitter and tell us exactly how it works. But, it's not the tennis problem, and and people are saying it's not that much harder than tennis problem. Like, no, it's way harder than tennis. Well, like, you it, gotta
0: <laughs> like you were saying, you gotta adjust a zone for the different stances and the heights of different players, so that makes it all a ma- order of magnitude harder. I, I guess the follow up question I have is: Is there a way to have the umpire stand where he is, no matter what, no matter what kind of system you used, and then if there's a miss in the system because of the one in 1,000 chance that it was unable right. to track a ball, buzz the umpire and say, hey, what did you see? And then have that. Now, that t- that, that seems t- like a, like, it, it, it does seem like a cop-out, doesn't it? But uh, it won't work. It yeah. won't work. Mm-hmm.
2: You, you take taken away. If the umpire, it's such a focused, a highly focused task. It's something that they do a lot. It takes them years and years and years to be good enough to umpire in the major people complain about major league umpiring. Just go watch a minor league game, go watch uh-huh. a college game, go watch a high school game, and then come back to me and tell me that Angel Hernandez is a bad umpire. Like he may be the worst umpire in major league baseball. I'm not saying he is what rated that way, but even if he is, he's still that makes him still one of the top one hundred or two hundred umpires in the world. Uh-huh. Like that's the thing. It's like to even be you have to be really, really good to even give the appearance of being bad. And I don't think he's a bad umpire. I mean, there's many times where like, Oh, that was a great call or look how good he was in position for that. And there's definitely times where these guys seem to be jerks or do something that seems obviously wrong. Some guys seem to do it more often than others. But generally speaking, I find that the umpires are are ridiculously good. So now if you take them and make them the backup, it won't work. Like basically this is a, a, a kind of a task where it's extreme focus, you, you are forcing yourself to pause long enough to process the full flight of the ball. There's like a beat that the umpire doesn't go quickly. They work at a kind of a speed that's very, and that rhythm, that timing is very important to them of how they watch the pitch mm-hmm. all the way through and then say, was that in, look for a strike basically. And if you, you can't be like, oh dude, what was that?
1: Oh, um,
2: um, you know, that won't work. Okay. You have to be the primary. If you have them as being like, well, just hang out and watch really closely on every pitch and once every couple games, we're going to ask you, you, you. It's not going to happen. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it, we, it basically, this is one of those fundamental things where you want to use technology to augment the human rather than the other way around because of the nature of the task.
0: Mm hmm. Okay. So I guess, our, to summarize this part of our conversation, your position is that it's best to use whatever existing technology we have as a grading system for the umpire so that they can see where they missed and adjust on a human level, like adjust their K zones.
2: Well, they do it now, and right. I don't, I, what, what um, I'm saying is that the only change I would suggest is is bringing it into, into the into closer to real time for them.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool idea. It's just, uh, you know, whether MLB will want to do it and whether the umpire's union is cool with that.
2: None of us have to know. We, they could do it oh, and that's true. none of us <laughs> ever know. <laughs> I mean, literally, all they have to do the, 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 is, you know, Joe Tory or whoever whoever runs the umps these days, for, not, I, it's, for running, I guess it's Torrey. But anyways, we'll just use Torrey. And if he goes and says, all right, this is the deal, you're going to put this in your, this is part of your standard issue equipment, just goes in your pocket. It's like the thing when you're waiting at TGI Fridays for your table
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it will light up and shake, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's right. like, it'll just be just this thing that, you know, if it annoys them, fine, just do in spring training. Just do something to show that, you know, either build their own trust in that the technology is going to be useful for, for giving them feedback or just use that to show, you know, over time that their zones may drift within counts and things like that. And just see if that feedback system works more than the post hoc reviews they do today. See if moving that feedback into the game makes them even better than what they are now Mm -hmm. and see how that, if that impacts the game, start to see if we get a more standardization the zone as a result than we are today. And also at the same time, find out what happens. Um, Not saying use it to make the calls, but just as a closer to real time feedback system than what we have for them now.
0: Right. Uh, Just out of curiosity, do you know how many cameras are set up in every stadium for StatCast purposes?
2: Okay, it's basically the radar Uh system and then a stack of, I think it's like four cameras, basically comprising two 3D units. Uh So it's uh, – I saw – the only place I physically have been close enough to see them was in the – third base dugout in Wrigley. They're like, they were just before all the big construction and overhauls were done. This is like, this is earlier last year season, two seasons ago when they were first putting these in mm-hmm. that they had it at Wrigley in right by where the camera well starts after the visitors dug out, like at the back of the visitors dugout as mm-hmm. you go further down the line. And there were just these, just kind of not super noticeable things, but there were like these big casings around them and they were, you know, offset at different angles, and I'm like, oh, that's that's the that's the Statcast camera. That's literally it. Huh. The uh, the sport. So it's like if you go to if you go to Wrigley or any major league park or even a minor league park, just turn around, look above home plate, and so basically well, you have the, the, these not that fancy looking stuff. If you just try to look, it's usually like a uh, it's usually just black. I think in Fenway they painted it green, mm-hmm. but. It's just a big rectangle. Or it looks like a big kind of screen, but it's not with a, like, with a hole in it. But that's the radar unit. The old sport Vision cameras that they used for the pitch tracking, you know, up until this year, uh-huh. they looked no different than like, the cheap fixed security camera you might have outside your warehouse. Uh-huh. They were not. So this was. They weren't. This is what's kind of cool about that stuff is they're not even that high end. So it's not about the lenses or the quality of the camera. It's about the processing of the data, the stitching of it together. That's where these companies do their innovations. So it's not like a whole ton of cameras. So the radar can lose the ball. It will lose the ball in high pop-ups and things down the lines because the way Mm -hmm. the radar beams is aligned. It doesn't really catch things in foul territory. So home runs down the line get mismeasured. High home runs get mismeasured. So, it, it, the rate, you know, when a ball leaves the radar track, they use an algorithm to figure out how far it went, and that algorithm's a little bit off.
0: Mm-hmm. So. I believe that did happen, uh, over the last. Week actually, uh, Aaron Judge had a homer that broke StackCast and yeah, Bryce Harper the other day. Ass. Yeah, <laughs>
2: people have been sending that to me. Uh, I've been ignoring. <laughs> so uh, I guess it was probably too high. It, uh, there was it, the more interesting one was the home run in Boston that went 295 feet.
0: Yeah, because uh, I, I guess they have to use some kind of some down kind the of, lines you
2: lose the signal. Yeah. And so it was a high ball down the line that probably went 312 feet. I guess to get past the pesky pole. Right. And, but the, the, the the process that they use is off by 15 feet in the, the, which is a lot, I think. Mm -hmm. But it's in the, it's in the weakness of the system. Mm -hmm. It's in the place where it's like, that's hard for the ball to be picked up there. So these, these systems are not on infallible at all. I mean, they produce, you know, and some stadiums are worse than others. I mean, some stadiums based on where, you know, they had to put the radar unit. You maybe, you're losing more trackballs. Uh uh-huh. So, you know, uh, there's, it's, you know, these, these, these are amazing, amazing technologies and they make, definitely make baseball a lot more fun and give people who, who do what I do a lot of things to work on. Mm-hmm. But let's not overstate <laughs> what I, basically it's this kind of hold on, you know, you know, we, we could have robot umpires someday. But mm-hmm. if we use the technology that we're talking about right now as a baseline and and do what we you and I have done this evening and go through it all, you start to realize that it's great, but it's not. It's hard to it's hard to make a case that it's ready for prime time in the way that people expect it to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you know enough about the technology to know whether like an additional radar unit or other triangulation system, more cameras, perhaps would uh Reduce the amount of balls that won't be picked up. and I maybe... think
2: having additional radar systems would be self-defeating, if mm-hmm. I understand correctly. Um, I've been told also that you can process radar fast enough. But I'm like, oh, show me. It hasn't been done in this industry yet. So my, my, my prescription for doing this is go back to the camera system, make mm-hmm. it redundant, consider going to a whole new thing that we don't know about that is more observed, then estimated measurements, um, you know, but, but all these things, see, it's like, I don't know if it's worth it. It's like, we, if we just keep using the technology to help give feedback and train the umpires, I think that would be the best use of technical resources mm-hmm. is to make the umpires better than try and find a way to replace them. Mm-hmm. Cause that might turn out to be complete folly. It, it, it may, it may just not work.
0: And just for all the listeners out there, I am assuming that MLB checks their umpire's eyes periodically to make sure they have good vision, right? I would hope I would. Yeah. Yeah, I've never actually read about that, but. That's a good question.
2: (laughs) You would think. um, Yeah, I would. That's a great question. I don't know. But you would expect these guys to have you know, their eyes check more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. Cause I imagine some of them wear glasses in contact so that, you know, obviously gives them a little bit of extra refraction that they have to adjust for. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I'm just going to trust that MLP knows what they're doing. Yeah. That, I mean, I, yeah.
2: I've just gotten old enough to start wearing reading glasses and it's definitely weird. You know, it's definitely mm-hmm. like, you know, having any, anytime you're putting on corrective ones it makes things strange. Um, just, Field division and stuff, but most of these guys are, you know, a lot of umpires are, you know, are my age or even older. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gotta figure it. Some of these guys have had to have LASIK or something or just good contacts right. um, and gotten
0: used to it because, you know, once you hit 40, i'm almost there (laughs) but uh yeah it's been interesting because everything started hurting a little bit more like i can't run as fast as i used to and it's kind of annoying so (laughs) yeah uh before i let you go harry uh you use you are still affiliated with baseball prospectus and i know that in the past we've talked about you know Sites like Baseball Prospectus, basically preparing your writers and scouts for actual jobs in baseball. But nowadays, you're seeing things like Grantland. A few years ago, shut down. Uh, uh. Sports just <laughs> shut down. So now, a lot of people who are very intelligent, who are you know basically experts in baseball, have nowhere to put their voice, and they have to write for like several different places. Like you know, maybe I'll write for Beyond. You know, uh, beyond the box score, or I'll write for B Pro Wrigleyville, or I'll write for you know Fan Rag, and they they now have like 17 different uh, writing jobs to make ends meet. Uh, what do you think of that, and where do you think aspiring writers go from here? Now that basically everybody seems to be getting. You rid know, of them? I mean,
2: the work I do at BP, you know, is mostly behind the scenes and developing stats because I, I I think that the most important thing we can do is make sure the editorial side has good good information. Mm -hmm. So from just in my little corner of the world that that's how, like how do I make sure our writers have, you know, good can do good work, make sure they have good information. I think what's happened recently with there's been two forces I think at work primarily that there's too many people trying to break into baseball writing Mm -hmm. to be for all the spots. I mean, it's just, it's just hugely competitive uh, then that's, that's, that's fine. That's good. But it's just a huge amount of, of talent is out there. Uh, the second thing is the strangeness of the advertising decisions that are being made to go to the video. I think that's a screw up. I mean, that doesn't, I, I think if you look at, if you, if you read about that, it's a whole, it's a whole other world about how they're figuring out that these are the, the more, uh, ad friendly, you know, format, it's, it's video. Stop stop the writing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking that people only watched and saw video because it was autoplaying while they were reading something. You know? So I, I think there's going to be the pendulum is going to swing the other way. I really do because I, I mean, I know that I'm not the standard audience and, you know, but I'm a little out of the main demographic, I guess now. But I think there's an audience for baseball writing, intelligent mm-hmm. baseball writing. I think there, I think there is a lot of talent out there for it. And I think there, is, there are going to be platforms that get developed to support that. So it's an extremely competitive place, and that's always going to be the case. So if you're looking for job security and a simple thing to do, baseball writing is never, ever, ever going. Even if you're successful, right. it's never going to be that way. You're constantly going to be hustling and competing. Right. Get get over that. Um, but if if you if you're up for that, don't stop because all those all these sites are shutting down. Like I know it sucks. It really does. I mean, we've seen Vice has gone down recently. All their sports people are out. Um, you know, Fox. Ken Rosenthal is posting on his Facebook page. Right during the trade deadline season, breaking news on his Facebook. Yeah, Fox, you don't want that. Um, it, really weird. I think it's going to not work. I think it's going it to be a backlash. I mean, we're always looking for writers. The, the people at The Athletic, one of whom, um, Sahada Sharma, was with us at BP and went there, and they've been doing great, and they've been opening up more, and they have a different business model uh, than, than what we have and we and anybody else that I know. Yeah. So, There's different business models that are still emerging that may be working out and finding more places for writers. I think what's happened is is definitely going to create some short end for some people, some long-term pain professionally. But I feel that the market should come back (laughs) for jobs. People should be eventually go back to hiring more actual writers because I think they're going – my expectation is – that the decisions that they've made to jettison writing and focus on video only are not going to pay off. Right. That the continual search for the right way to monetize writing online is not over.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not over. This, this, this is you know, humans take in information by reading. It's a very efficient way for us to take information. Right. We're not going to stop.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you say that because as a teacher, I. Mm. Emphasize reading. Like you basically have to learn from reading, no matter what discipline you go into. You and for this. yeah, for me directly, it doesn't affect me because that's this is my my occupation. Like I do this uh, because I like it, and I don't rely on it to like put food on the table. But I think it does affect me indirectly because now uh, I feel like the content I, I don't have time to you know, watch videos, and I also don't think I learn as much from watching Talking Heads on TV. But uh, at the same time, like, you know, subscription models, like, I wish I had the time to or the resources, because once again, I'm a teacher, we're poor as heck. (laughs) (laughs) I can't subscribe to B-Pro, I cannot subscribe to Baseball America, I can't get ESPN Insider, and I can't subscribe to Athletic, no matter how much I want to, because I know how much quality there is. So I'm seeing like a... I'm, I'm hoping it's not the case. I'm hoping that uh, some stuff remains free like fan graphs and baseball reference. They need to remain free for those of us who just like looking up stuff and yeah, looking at their stats, right? But yeah. uh, and, and we yeah.
2: find that like if we don't have a paywall, we, we cannot survive on ad revenue. Like it just we can't. Like we it just no like I don't know how people do it. So but at the same time, we despise putting stuff behind the paywall mm-hmm. because because of what you just said, like, well, then it becomes like this, you know, can you afford to read good baseball content? I'm like, my God, you know, we, we got to figure this out. You know, it's like yeah. there's, there's, you know, I'm glad that these places have these subscription models because they're actually, you know, they're providing a platform for people. But if we end up with a situation where that's the only model that works, that's going to really suck. Right. That's going to be really bad. Um, yeah. So, I mean... You know, I, I'm pretty lucky that you know I, I can anything that I'm involved with at BP, anything, any type of research and analysis work. It's like that does not go behind the paywall. You uh-huh. know, the stuff that they generate in the editorial side, I don't have that kind of pull to take away the paywall. But I can make sure that the work that people that, I, that work with me do is is freely available. You know, the regular uh-huh. columns that people write, that's a different story. But I, I think at least in the baseball research world. You know, I think that stuff should never mm-hmm. go behind paywalls. I kind of understand why some of the like, if you've got a, if you've got someone following the team, you're putting them on an airplane, putting them in hotels, the, the ad revenue is not going to cut it. So places like the Athletic, to get that type of really good coverage, they need, they're just kind of accepting that they're cutting their audience down a certain size. Um, and that's. That's so be it, but, you know, hopefully we can th- those are supplements to the larger platforms, but what's happening with the larger platforms within traditional newspapers, they're also, you know, after you read 10 articles, you've got to pay. So, you know, we're, we're you know, people aren't going to want to pay out of pocket you know, that advertising doesn't work. People use ad blockers. People ignore the ads, the ad, ad networks aren't properly managed. Sometimes there's, that's, you know, they, they slow down your browser, you know, they're annoying they're not relevant you know that's you know it's not enough money for websites to, to really pay them you know pay pay their employees <clears throat> you know most cases but at the same time you know that's got to be part of it so you know so you can have open content that you don't know, people don't have to go through a paywall their paywall is an ad <clears throat> with video that like kind of it's like okay the way we can make money is by doing video it's like that I like you. I think they've turned the whole problem upside down. It's about making. It's the people who want the who want to make money via ads, as opposed to people who want to publish good content.
1: Right.
2: So th- these are going to shake out. We're going to end up with all these different things. But I'm I'm hoping that we can figure out in this in the industry can figure out. And it's not just the level of baseball writings but any any type of journalism, any type of you know, all of this stuff. We're we're just a small piece of it. In our our world here. Because it's happening with all the newspapers too, you know, with with, with mainstream reporting. Um, Nobody's really figured out how to monetize it, even though this this problem has clearly presented itself for a better part of three decades now. Like it was, it's been twenty five. You know, if you didn't realize twenty five years ago that things Mm -hmm. were changing, and you know, with the internet, with 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 connectivity, you know, here we are. Right. How do we? It's kind of a problem. So the industries were slow to react, and now things are happening that I think will, you know, may not be fruitful.
0: Well, uh, here's to the future of baseball writing, I guess, Uh, whatever that form is. Going to be something
2: we don't know. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I I guess uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time because at this point the. Rockies are destroying the Pirates. Uh, we want to see the Cubs make it to the first place, and I definitely want you to be able to see that. And I'll listen to the radio because, once again, I don't <laughs> I don't have cable, so i got to listen to the radio, which is fine. Uh, as, as long as that remains free, I think I'm okay. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Harry. Uh, you can find Harry Pavlidis at his Twitter. You are at? H-A-R-R-Y-P-A-V, Harry Pav. Yep, uh, very simple, and uh, I have no idea where you follow me, but thank you so much, because uh, I think we always, i more than you, but I always learn a lot from you, and I really appreciate your time. Uh, you can find Harry's work at Baseball Prospectus, and we'll be right back. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you every day. Thanks once again to Harry Pavlidis for guesting on the podcast to talk to us about technology and why it still needs a little bit of work. You can find Harry at HarryPav on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at CubicsNarconia and Anno, Ben, is at Dreaming underscore Cubs. We have our Facebook and our site at WorldSeriesDreaming.com. You can also email us. At at gmail.com. I'd like to thank Rich Deanna for our theme song, Randall Sanders, for hooking us up with the final out call from the World Series. Remember that the Cubs did win the World Series, because sometimes people forget that. Please rate us on iTunes and share this with your friends so more people kind of listen to us. That might be fun. And until next time, thank you for listening to our Dreamcast and go cups More than just a game